Hi, I'm here to see Alan. Yeah, close you up night. Cheers. Hello and welcome to the How I Got Here podcast. I'm David Elliott and today I'm going to be talking to a man who can be credited with changing the face of the Belfast music and dance scene for generations of people, me included. Alan Sims is a man synonymous with DJ Night Shine, which for years was held in Queen's Students' Union, but is now more transitory in nature. He's also behind what has now become known as the legendary Limelight. Alan, great to have you here today. Um, I want to dive straight into a fairly deep question, I suppose, about what's central to your day-to-day business and life, I suppose. Music, what, what does music mean to you music's been um really central to my life since i as since as i don't know as long as i can remember i remember like 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 my dad played guitar in bands when i was a kid and my mom was a super music fan and sort of disco and the pop music of the time of the 1970s and there was just always music on in our house more serious sort of rocky stuff with, with, with my father's side of things and then on my mum's side it was all the great old sort of sort of corny disco records and stuff like ABBA and Earth, Wind and Fire and you know and uh, it was just always there and we had we, we didn't have a, a lot of like money growing up but there was a really good sound system in our house and, and I mean that, that wouldn't have been unusual at the time of like a lot of money was maybe spent on the hi-fi and I wasn't allowed to touch it but uh Every week there'd be like sort of new vinyl records in the house, and we'd always have the radio on and stuff. So it was just it was just always uh, there. And then when I got to maybe uh, like ten years old, or maybe maybe even younger, maybe nine, I got like a little record player for Christmas, uh, one of those little sort of mono things, and uh, I would get pocket money every week and just buy like a like a seven inch single. That would be what I would spend my money on, and I'd go to like a um, good vibrations a lot actually but there were so many record shops there was like Ivan Martin had one I think it was Sounds Around Golden Discs yeah, there was Golden Discs but the, there was Golden Discs was here uh, uh, making tracks Caroline Music I'd just go around them all and see which ones I'd get the best deals on on, on uh, vinyl records but if I was getting all the punk rock stuff that was a little bit later maybe when I was like 10 or 11 I'd go to Good Vibes and the thing that really was magical about there was you could go in and there maybe would be one of the bands or some of the band members sort of hanging about as you're buying your uh, your uh, record and then obviously the next logical step was I sort of picked up a guitar and started playing it and sort of always had a had a guitar and little bands on the go and stuff when down the youth club uh, after that so it's just always always been there and uh, always been central I've always been a music fan always just voraciously consuming and trying to understand lots of different types of music I mean the weird thing was when a lot of people were just very much adhering to one form of music I was liking both punk rock and Led Zeppelin at the same time which was sort of oil and water but I just I just loved them for different reasons both at the same time and uh, and then obviously later I was fortunate enough to be put in the position where I was able to go and, you know, get uh, offered a job DJing more, more because A, from being in little bands, I knew how to 
what the difference between an output and an input is, which, you know, a lot of people don't. And the other thing was I had a good sort of mental knowledge of sort of current sort of contemporary music and a good record collection. Um, so I started getting, one of my friends was doing, like in those days, you would go and rent one of the halls out in Queens or something like that for like a student to school, like maybe the, the, the snack bars. It's like a thousand people or 1,200 people, whatever it was. And uh, you would... Uh, bring all the stuff in a van and I got a job just because I was like at college uh, lifting all the speakers in because he knew that I wouldn't blow the PA up because I had a rough idea how yeah. one set things up and then one night he was double booked and I got sort of handed a record box and I went right to your DJ tonight and I think it was 15 quid for carrying all the boxes up and down right or 30 quid for DJ and so I'm like I, I just wanted the money because uh, I mean I could buy more music or go out or do whatever so and that sort of led me, that put me on the path. Uh, I'm very grateful. It was a guy, Shane McKinney, so I'm very grateful to him for for helping me on that path because it was, really was just chance. I was just like anything to do with music that I could be around. And if I could make money out of it, I was like, wow, this is, this is incredible. This is, this is way better than working, you know? And at that time as well, like the thing about it is the DJ wasn't at all important. People wouldn't face them in a club. You know, I would be sort of jealous because all my friends would be out in the club talking to girls, and uh, you know they'd have all the groundwork done by the time the the, the show had finished, and I'd be nowhere. Uh, that's sort of changed later on when yeah. people started associating the DJ. I mean, that was potentially maybe the end of a DJ's being interesting in a certain way, is uh, when they became being perceived as being cool or somehow uh, more important than maybe they should be. Um, but yeah, that's that's sort of it in a nutshell, really. And and how you know you've taken us on a bit of the journey there to making it a career, not just a love. How how did that how did that then become what it is now, which is you know it's just a pretty serious business. How did you how did you become a promoter, and how did you become you know someone that was one of the, the legendary limelight <laughs> um, as it's now become known? Well, uh, I guess what really started to happen was the sort of house music bug started to happen and I was doing and we, we would I, I we would just find like places that you know didn't have anyone going there on like a Wednesday night and go I'll give you 50 quid give us your room and we'll bring all the gear in and charge people you know three quid or five quid or whatever the hell it was in and uh, at that time a lot of the like little clubs around Belfast like Lavery's they had a little tiny little room in the attic for I don't know how many people maybe 150 people but that was enough for me I would get four quid ahead or whatever but uh, they would have their own in-house DJ and there were guys like probably my age now who hadn't a clue what was going on and you had all this great exciting music coming the real renaissance of uh, music with um, you know the likes of all the sort of proper really good danceable indie music and then all these records coming from sort of Chicago and Detroit and uh, like places like maybe New York and stuff as well as dance music and 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 uh, and we were like bang on it and it was so exciting because there weren't that many outlets for that there was there was this super cool dance music club maybe that, that started and then this sort of really dur indie thing or the very bad pop thing and we were, we were able to sort of well I was able to I guess uh, sit somewhere in between all of that uh, and and as as time went on with that. I started just throwing everything else out apart from the dance music because I just got the bug and like everyone, I guess, did. And uh, so I wanted to sort of do some proper uh, uh, 
dance music events because no one would book me. No one would. I, I had no real track record as a DJ. Is that because you hadn't pigeonholed yourself? Yeah. As, as, well, as well, one well, or other? Or? Well, it's like if you do that, then you would be pursued as being naff because you play yeah. Lavery's on a Wednesday night and yeah, you yeah. play the B-52s. You're not a proper <laughs> DJ. And you, I see that happen all the time. And it's it's something like Phil Kieran and so many other guys have done the same thing and probably maybe on a lo- locally anyway been sort of prejudiced against by the sort of the... The, uh, the 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 you know the the sort of holders of the gatekeepers of the scene or whatever yeah, yeah, it's a load yeah. of nonsense but uh, but yeah so no one would book me so I thought I'll promote some gigs myself and then I get booked and you know um, whatever so I did that and actually interestingly I did some stuff like Tokyo Joe's and all that and it never really gelled but the first night for me that gelled and it was the proto I guess the 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 thing that really morphed into shine which was the thing that's very much set me uh on the path to where i am now was in the limelight oddly and that we did start a night i started out with a guy called clive Moore, who was a very respected indie dj at the time he did this he was more serious music than me but he he did the same thing he's got more and more into dance music and was like as everyone was it was 1992 or, or something like that and uh we started uh, doing a Friday night there and I, I DJed in like David Holmes's club he had very kindly given me he was very helpful and very supportive very generous with his time and advice and stuff with uh, Sugar Sweet and Alan Ferris again who was a very kind and helpful supportive person he did like the choice they were the two cool clubs at the, the much lauded sort of art college and uh, when I started booking like I got I would book some guests in like sort of people like Andrew Weatherall and and uh David Holmes and, and, and people like that and, and and obviously next thing we knew we had a really big success and that ran for a couple of years and uh, and then all the guys from the sort of students union used to come down on a Friday night because it was just it was a great night it was brilliant it was a sweat total sweat box and just everyone went completely insane it was the much hasn't really been spoken about in sort of club lore much but it was class it was great it was as good as any club in Belfast was I, I believe anyway but all those guys come down so I got to know all them because I'd been on partying every week and and Phil the uh, and officer at the time when it ended um, I was like we, we need to keep this going there's a momentum here let's do it and uh, I, I like this idea of the student union because a lot of club nights wouldn't last very long because of the whole I guess sort of gangster element would just move in and that was at the time. Oh yeah, that, yeah, that yeah. People were getting that element was people were getting right. killed at the time for delivering a bloody pizza to the wrong address yeah. and stuff like that. It was insane when you think back. It was insane what we accepted as being normal, you know. Uh, but uh, but uh, yeah, so we started there on a Friday night, and you know, gradually it got bigger, and then we booked more acts. And we started opening more rooms, and you know, and then the next logical step was well, let's let's get our own venue and it was I mean it's still very difficult now but it's it's easier now to maybe get your own licensed premises but it was yeah. a, such a close shop then basically if you had a bar anywhere it would be busy all the time because there weren't enough but then these little tiny licenses turned into the guys would knock next door and turn them into like a thousand capacity bars what had traditionally been a 200 capacity bar and that happened all over the city to the point where supply uh, outstripped demand and in, in a way that has freed it up now where you have a little 
few more like innovative operators in yeah, now yeah. because they're all competing for business and it's made the bars more interesting. In that day and age, they were all crap. Mm. Going out in Belfast was just crap mm. and naff, embarrassing and just uh, uh, the music was just dreadful and they didn't invest properly in the venues. There were no music bars you could go nah, to. Nah, really, the were security they? were horrible and didn't care about the products or service or anything like that. It was just... Lavery's was the most innovative product, and, and in a way, it's bizarrely doing the same thing. It still is, you know. It, it uh, and and fair play to them for it. Um, but then we there was there was like a rental place that no one had ever been able to make work uh, underneath the cinema there on the Dublin Road, and and, and I took a lease on there from NCP. <laughs> I know bizarre, and it was such a bad bad laid out club but we, we made it work and you know I think it still is a venue but we made it work there for a number of years and then oddly the opportunity arose to uh, buy the limelight which is my first serious close a weird, really weird sort of circular uh, uh, sort of set of circumstances we ended up a couple of us bought that together because at that point as well we when we had the Stiff Kitten, as we called it, yeah, up, yeah. up on Bankmore Square. We started booking in some more live stuff and, you know, started to diversify the musical offering with sort of a lot more eclectic music forms and, you know, uh, just stuff that was really as broad as we possibly could. And uh, that sort of paved the way for more of a movement into uh, sort of live music. Um, and we'd already started, I guess, at that point as well before we purchased the limelight doing uh, the proto version of what became Belsonic. It was called Belsonic, but I mean, it was sort of three nights, relatively small attendances. And now we do, we did upwards of 20 odd shows this year with you wow. know, nearly 200,000 uh, visitors. So it's to say the two things are the same is, is, is a bit of an overstatement, but yeah, that, that's, that's broadly the, the journey. And, and I mean, I could go into a lot more detail and talk all day about it, but uh yeah, that's 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 pretty much it. What's it like going from working with something that you love as a bit of a hobby to having to learn the business side of it, having to make really quite difficult decisions, having to find funding, having to manage staff? Was I, that something that came naturally? Is that something that you had to had to learn? I think we all learned and made many. I mean, they say success is a hundred. That's one of the boring business cliches, but it's true. Is that success is ninety nine percent failure. No one knew what they were doing. I had a clue what I was doing. But, uh, but it's like anyone, if you're a successful electrician and you want to become a guy that hires a hundred different electricians, you need to learn how to use an invoicing system. You know, you need to learn how to deal with HR issues. You need to learn with, you know, uh, products and budgeting and all of these different things. So it's, it's, it's no different really. And that just the product is sort of music, but, uh, I guess having a couple of really, we've, I have a couple of very, very close key staff that basically I could name. We, there's a lot of people that uh, uh, work for this business, but there's like maybe, I don't know, is there half a dozen that I would view as being really key and that advise me and that you sort of can't really, would you would rather not do yeah. without, you yeah. know? Uh, but it's been a trial and error. We've people like two offices down there that have worked for me for 20 years you know wow. people most of the people here I tend to try to hang on to people and have them grow with the business that's one of the actual main motivators for me to grow the business is that so that everyone that works for me that's key who I enjoy working with who I think bring value to the company can 
be challenged and 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 have a career path because there's people that started working with me part time when they were nineteen and they're now in their mid thirties. Well, they're going to want to have a more money, b a more challenging, uh, stimulating environment to work in. So a lot of that is my job, and I, 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 that comes from bringing in new types of business, bringing in new types of business practices, uh, it, it, trying to innovate in as much as we can within the parameters of what we do. And, and that sort of became my role. A lot of the a lot of the sort of detail stuff isn't stuff that particularly interests me. I do know about it, but I, I don't have a great deal of uh, patience for it. And it's not my strong suit. So I, I guess I'm at that stage now where... And I used to do a lot of it, but I guess one of the things... I decided to do is spend a lot less time doing the stuff I don't like. <laughs> the joy of owning your own business? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, there has not? to be some benefit yeah, yeah, yeah. because, you know, you're on 24 hours a day. So there has to be something that makes it good. I hit 50 last year and I'm like, well, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do this. I'm finished with that. I don't want to do it. It doesn't give me any satisfaction. Well, what is that? What is the stuff you don't want to do? Uh, just, just bloody details you know yeah. just the endless day-to-day squabbling that you have Judging. to do to get these i mean we do every every gig that you bring in or every sponsorship deal that you do or every you know time you do a development and you're squabbling with maybe the, the local authorities here listen the belfast is very pro-business as well but yeah, you yeah. know every time we do something we're we're dealing with the city council we're dealing with the psni we're dealing with the planning People we're dealing with building control and all of these various different uh, government bodies. I want to say squabble. It's not squabble, but it's you know you're 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 brought into their world, which is a world of paperwork and administration and procedure and uh, and uh, you know all that sort of stuff. And that's not what really interests me. So I've I've taken less to do with that I, obviously I know exactly what's going on but my perfect scenario would be just for someone else to do all of that for me to be honest <laughs> and you to focus on the bigger vision on that yeah I, I wouldn't even put it that I, I, I'm not even putting it that way because that seems really egocentric to say oh I'm just the big picture guy or something sure, like that <laughs> I just don't want it's not even that I just don't want to do it yeah, and, yeah. and if I'm coming into work every day just dreading it because I know that I have this and there's the other battles as well. The battles about, you know, flight share costs for DJs and all the various different costs that are incurred in bringing up one of these wonderful world-class acts to the city. And you're dealing with these very, very tough negotiators and some of the world's, you know, uh, most leading uh, figures in, in the music scene, the back of house music scene. I, I don't want to do that every day either. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I've got younger guys that are more keen that are, better geared up to do that than me as well so what I say is go and do it go and do it yeah do you you're putting on gigs all the time yes. and it's obviously second nature to you do you ever and even now when you're and probably with some of the bigger gigs do you ever think nobody's going to turn up yes usually of course <laughs> my god yes and then then when you think well ha that one's going to sell out and you're left bloody losing 200 grand or something on it yeah it happens all the time we get it uh, what is it they say in the movie business nobody knows nothing like we just haven't a clue you can just there's all these anomalous things that can happen or events can happen like I don't know uh, uh, 
really inclement weather can just be an issue for stuff that's last minute sales. It can be sporting events like the classes. A good weather can be bad for you. We can have a what do we have a few with a. We had a bloody volcano went off a few years ago. You, 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 you think about the disruption that caused the business like mine. Where yeah. we're doing, I don't know, we've over a thousand music events per year. So every day of the week, we have a number of different things going on with trucks and ferries and planes and internal transport and, and people being able to transport themselves into the city centre safely and get home and making all these judgments and stuff. There are all of these things that can happen, thousands of them to make your event go horribly wrong. <laughs> and and what can go wrong will go wrong. And then we had terrorist stuff. <laughs> My God, yeah, all that. Yeah, yeah. F- bloody flag marches. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. That was good for business. Yeah, I'm sure. No, it wasn't. No, it was terrible. It was awful. And, you know, so yeah, no, God, every time you, you have to, that's that's the downside to owning your own business is this sort of, is a, a sense of, you know, anxiety that's there all the time and, and it's there any of the good people that work with our company feel that sense of ownership as well and feel that same anxiety and it's a great little bonding thing that we have you know when we go out because we still feel like a little bit of an underdog as well yeah, yeah. you know going out there and I think we are it's a very small relatively small operation to produce the amount of and the quality of uh, of events and the variety of events that we do so we still have that you know plucky underdog mentality and I think it helps get us through but presumably when it goes well there's nothing like it no, aside I, from playing playing your decks to, to um, a thousand people I'll tell you no I'm, yeah I'll tell you and I'm going to tell you about the time I knew it was over for me DJing this is fun I'll tell you that yeah, first yeah, and then yeah, I'll answer the other question I was DJing and the, I was in the club somewhere and it was rammed and it was it was definitely one of those big things with a couple of thousand people there and you know, I dropped the bass out of a track and everyone's going nuts completely bonkers and then I brought it back in and the bass comes back and the whole place went completely crazy and I was like, please. And I went, yeah, this is over. I need to stop doing this. I, they're all, I'm not enjoying this. And there's loads of guys that were 10 years younger than me uh, biting at my heels that would absolutely love this experience and I'm not enjoying it. So I stopped. And that was it. And that was, what, 11 years ago, 12 years ago? So, I mean, my wife was pregnant with our first kid at the time as well and being in nightclubs is sort of toxic it's not good for you not yeah. that I I mean I wasn't like a heavy drinker or anything like that at all but it's just getting home at five in the morning thinking of like cigarettes and booze and, and, it's, and being around me people that are yeah. playing music for kids that are like 15 years younger than that. that's not what I had planned for myself so I uh, yeah I just stopped that was it I haven't, haven't looked back I'm very glad that I stopped it was and, great and where do you get those kicks from now is it seeing an, a, a concert of an event <laughs> Well, that's, really the other, that's the other question. You're saying, oh, it must be great, you know, doing these gigs. It was really funny. I was talking to Joe, who's my talent booker and does a lot of other stuff for the company as well. And uh, we were on the side of the stage at a, at a show. Recently, there sold out, big outdoor show. We we're talking about the next thing that we're about to do. I was going, oh, blah, 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 blah. And then he was telling me, look, I think we'll do it this way. We'll do it that way. And I was going, yeah, brilliant. That's great. Fantastic. Okay, I'm, I'm sitting there serious, and then he turned around and looked, and there's a crowd of say I don't know ten thousand people behind us. He went, and also by the way, like this, I was like, yeah, I'd sort of completely forgotten that we were at this thing. So there, there isn't this big sort of uh, high five moment. We yeah, don't do yeah. that at all. We just move on to the next thing. Just on to so, the next. I mean, it's good. It's enjoyable. It's very gratifying. A lot of this sort of 
really positive experiences that you get from promoting and doing these gigs happen, you know, not beforehand or, 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 you know, before the, it's just maybe getting the book and selling the tickets or whatever. It's, it's just, and you're just, you know, pleased and relieved rather than celebratory, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah, to get it over with. But still, don't get me wrong, it's great, it's fantastic. We're all, I mean, I'm always hugely grateful that, that you know, one's being involved in these uh, events that are hugely collaborative, by the way. You know, there's literally dozens, if not hundreds of people in, involved in any of the successes that, that we all have, from from the statutory bodies that we deal with to the to the guys that do all our production stuff, to the, all the logistics people, all the you know, the talent bookers, and, and there's the, the, the security people, the event management planning staff, or all our people, there's a, it's a huge, huge collaboration, particularly for the outdoor stuff, and just being able to be part of bringing all that together yeah. can be a reward in itself, you know? Um, so, yeah. So you, so you have, you know, you've, you've got to this stage, the company's doing pretty well. Where do you go next? You talk about innovating there. You know, that's the, every business is talking about that, but in your business, you know, what, is that, what does that mean? And what does that mean for the future? It's a couple of things sort of looking out at the minute. I would, I would you know, the, the one's always just looking out for sort of new ways to do things. One of the most enjoyable things we've done over the last couple of years was sort of getting in and taking over uh, on a temporary basis the old Belfast Telegraph building, which just has been a delight. I mean, it was very difficult to uh, get up and running because it was to take and repurpose an old abandoned building is a challenge I've never had before. So that was that was uh, very both stressful and extremely rewarding and, and properly innovative in its own way. I mean, it's for, for the sort of, like we've had people like Alice in Chains there and Tom O'Dell and First Aid Club, uh, 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 First Aid Kit, sorry, uh, Two Door Cinema Club yeah. <laughs> and uh, all these various DJs. It's just a fantastic, exciting, we've had bingo in there and <laughs> we've had Line of Duty being filmed in there. Yeah. It's just a hugely interest and space to inhabit both like for techno music as well obviously uh, it's probably up there in the top best five rooms in the world what, to why? See that. why it just it feels like it has that sort of post-apocalyptic <laughs> industrial edgy intense purely dark vibe and the acoustics are really interesting as well the only other place that I mean I the first time we did a show there absolutely took my breath away I was completely yeah. in awe it was equivalent to going to Burgine or something like that wow. in terms of aesthetics obviously we don't have the same we can't run for three days and stuff like that so it's it's different in that regard uh, but in terms of just the aesthetics and just how intimidating and, and stimulating a space it is to go to and obviously our job is to make it that make it feel intimidating and yeah. edgy yeah. but also very safe you know, all, 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 underneath it all, it's a it's a wolf in sheep's clothing in yeah. many regards. But but even going in and listening to this more delicate, uh, fragile music like like maybe Tom O'Dell or, or First Aid Kit that I've already mentioned, and it also works there. And then Alison Chains and it working, you know, has been uh, that's been hugely rewarding. I'd like to do more of that. And there's plenty more old buildings around that we we will maybe do that with. Uh, I guess one of the other challenges that I'm wanting to look at is is how can we make things a little bit more sort of sustainable 
I know that's what everyone's talking about. Just the amount of plastic that our business uses is is worrying, and we're we're hopefully looking at that at the minute, obviously, uh, and changing how we do things that way. Um, in the live music sector, I mean, we've we've sort of gone through a lot of change over the past couple of years anyway with the outdoor stuff over the summer you know we've got this sort of new format where we do sort of two festively type multi-headliner shows one bigger one in the park in june which is, has been a joy to do and then again the old square at custom house which we've done for i think it was our 12th year there now and uh that's fantastic another thing that we've moved into largely again i mentioned joe that works for us has, has been doing comedy which is, I mean, it's early days with it. We've only really started doing a few things, but there's so many, there's such a, a range of local uh, comedians that are doing, selling lots of tickets and doing really interesting world-class comedy right here. I guess it's not surprising given the tradition of spoken word and stuff that we have. Uh, but that's another area that's that's really it's really interesting at the minute. Takes it back to the old Empire Tuesday nights back in the day. Aren't they still running as well? Oh, know? yeah, the Empire still does run. We, 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 uh, and it's still great. You know, it still does the business. I used to, uh, that was my first introduction to going to see stand up comedy, I guess. Yeah, yeah when I was a Paddy student. Kid who used to introduce That's right. it, didn't you? Well, I was in Paddy's class at Queen's. Really? City. Yeah, Paddy used to do the, uh, do the karaoke, I think, on like a Tuesday night right. in the bar. I think I listen, I I don't <coughs> I don't know his story, but I think that's how he got started. He was just extremely funny and maybe learnt his craft of, you know, performing in front of an unruly audience there. <laughs> but he he sort of sat beside there's one of the classes we had together. We did a completely useless degree in terms of what I what I do, which is, but I've had a fantastic time at university with psychology. And I can't remember one of the classes on a Friday afternoon, we, we would sort of sit together and chat. And I'd bump into Paddy from time to time intermittently. And uh, yeah, but he was, he was, uh, he was great. He was very edgy at the start. Yeah. And then, you know, I guess you choose your direction to go to, you know, but, but still a very funny, and a very, very, very nice guy as well. Um, so this is a, a podcast about careers, really. Um, so just to bring it bring it back to that for, for, for a second, what advice would you give to somebody in terms of the skills that you need to do to kind of do what you have done and, and work in the in the music industry and really build yourself up in the business? Because it sounds on the face of it, working in the oh, it sounds fantastic. You know, I'm I'm I'm, I'm living the dream. But really, there's an awful lot of hard work that seems to go into the organisational side of it yeah well the first thing i would say is i would i personally wouldn't employ anyone that uh that isn't a music fan uh -huh. there's every everyone that works in the sort of creative side of what we do or creative or you know production or whatever has got if you ask them they play bass in a band or they used to be a dj there will always be this tiny little sphere of music that they're a complete expert in right and i always love that because i think that's a transferable skill if you've completely dissected if you're a complete expert in you know what good metal is and what bad metal you'll be able to transfer that to other types of music more quickly than the average guy who's just listened to very very mainstream surface music and never really gone you know delved deep into something that's the first thing uh the i guess the other thing the, the other thing it's no it's it's not easy it's 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 
very time consuming. You, I guess you need to have a, if you're old enough, you need to have a very understanding partner, you know, uh, a lot of the guys, that's one of the other things, the, the guys that work for us, they're, they're, there's wives and guys, I mean, in the non-gender normative sense, of course, they have, uh, they have partners that aren't always on their case when they're out late at night, it shows, because mm-hmm. that's, that's when the work happens. You need to have a very much a candy attitude, again, because yourself, because if you're not prepared to, you know, to put that extra time in, it's not going to happen. You're just not going to go anywhere because you're not going to be the guy on the other end of the phone when the opportunities arise. Mm-hmm. Um, this is all fairly uh, obvious stuff. I don't think you necessarily, I don't think we have anyone with a degree in event management. I don't think so. Maybe it'll take a, it's a relatively new discipline, so maybe it'll take a while for them to filter through. We've we've one guy has a degree in marketing, but everyone else we've like English literature and computer science and but most of the people, I think pretty much everyone that's done well for us has been to university. So uh, again, I would also advise someone to go out there and engage in a wee bit of a hustle for themselves, whether it's you know starting a band or if you've got a bit of a chat, go and be a comedian. The comedians are all very very entrepreneurial. It's wonderful to watch. I love it. Uh, um, get out there and promote a club night or something because that expertise will you know when you move into a more career based sort of professional setting stand you in good stead I've seen it happen with, with people that have worked for us time and time again where they just have that wee yeah, yeah. entrepreneurial hustly edge that the, the, the next person just doesn't and that translates into uh, into better performance better flexibility ability to think at your feet, ability to deal with what can be extremely stressful uh, situations, uh, the ability to sort of circumnavigate the politics of a, of a situation uh, as, as well and sort of read rooms uh, well and learn and think on your feet quickly. Mm-hmm. Or, or it's all, this is the thing, it's all, I would give advice, it's all very general like that in terms of, you know, you need to, terms of like qualifications or, or something I would say go and get a degree whatever it is and have fun at university yeah. you know but key okay. uh, yeah Super. that's not a great answer I know I <laughs> know that's good um, and tell me one last question looking back would you would you change anything or you know do you, do you ever regret not going for a, a job as an accountant back in the day and, and living you know nine to five life I think I'm basically uh, unemployable uh, and, and like if I, if it, I think uh, very often like what would I do if I wasn't I, I couldn't do it I just couldn't work for someone I couldn't work in a very in a very formal setting and that, that's one of the things I even tell people when they come to work for us as well you know, there are a lot of disadvantages the advantage is you're working in a very formal setting where you don't have the, a lot of people who go in and work these professional jobs there's a real dichotomy they're one person at work I'm one person at home and that, that, at your that, gigs at home. That, sorry? They're at your gigs in the evening. That has to take, I think that must take its toll on people. Yeah, with, yeah. I guess the more senior you are, the less of a pretense you have to put on, yeah. but but it must take its toll on, on people that are in these pro- professional uh, jobs whereby they have to, you know, sort of change who they are sort of for 40 or 50 hours of the week. Um, and that's one of the advantages, I guess, of working in this environment. It's a very informal uh, way to work in terms of I don't regret 
I mean, I regret. I think I probably should have gave up DJ a bit before I did because I wasn't really enjoying it for a while, and it must have showed. I mean, it. it I. I can't. I'm not going to ask anyone because I don't care. It's so far <laughs> in the background, but I mean, that's a relatively minor uh, regret. Other than that, I'm. I'm really happy. I'm, I'm enjoying things. I have enjoyed things up until this point, and you know, excited for stuff that's coming along in the future, which is sort of great when you're as old as I am. You know. Ah. No, you're not old at all. <laughs> cool. Alan Sims, um, thanks so much for your time today. That's a really interesting journey through a pretty unique career, has to be said. Um, so thanks for taking part in that How I Got Here podcast. Thank you, David.